welcome to Crossing Darkness, a podcast about role-playing games set in the world of darkness. We are broadcasting over Twitch, Sundays 7 p.m. to 7.45 p.m., give or take, and are open to chatting with fans during the show. Uh, this is episode, uh, the season three, new season for us, episode one, and uh, we're going to be talking with uh, Rick Hines we, here about uh, Seventh Age and just gaming in the 21st century, well, 2020 century, I guess. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Frozen Fallout, and my co-host is Motorori, um, who helped me create a uh, podcast, um, f- this podcast, and 40-person four table gen con event at uh um that included mage the ascension as well as uh werewolf the apocalypse hunter the reckoning and vampire the masquerade that we finished up in 2018 uh how you doing uh motorori uh pretty good very relaxing weekend awesome and uh, today we have a very special guest with us today the creator of seventh age uh rick hines how you doing I am still surviving. I don't have horns just yet, and the apocalypse has not burned down everything around me. But it's been a hell of a year, actually. Um, so I've been up to all kinds of things um, uh, besides the Seventh Age. I actually turned in my sequel recently. But um, uh, the sarcasm, the urban fantasy, the role playing, it's been going strong, even in uh, the fact that we storytell online. And I am really jealous. I just realized Mortal Rory here has a fine, tasty cocktail. And I should have prepared myself ahead of time. Actually, uh, that brings us to our first question. Do you have a bottle of blueberry mead? I I do not have blueberry mead on me. But uh, misbehaving blueberry mead is seriously uh, one of like my uh, favorite drinks of all time. Um, yeah. they, there's this like really like niche cute alcohol shop uh that's like down the street outside of my apartment and they always like import different meads and different things they get this new blueberry honeyed mead um that is just divine but it's like 30 bucks a bottle it's really good but it's not good for like every weekend drinking if you know what i mean yeah no and uh full disclosure i just listened to most of uh your uh podcast with uh drinking with authors uh where you brought that up so i know that it's very close to your house which uh must be one of the really nice things about living in the chicago area uh uh the area that uh josh and i live in here in madison the the closest convenient the, the closest store is a bp gas station and then Close, close to that is a quick trip, which is nice, but uh, yeah, we got to drive to Woodman's if we want any good alcohol. Ah, um, Woodman's. I have been there. It is a fine establishment. It's like our beginnings, oh, yeah. but no. Um, no, this place is, is, is a small hole-in-the-wall shop, and all they do is stock local brewery and weird uh, eclectic beverages, and it's literally right outside my front door. Um, it's dangerous that it is there. Good sir, it is dangerous. Yeah, especially at thirty dollars a bottle, man. I, I I don't bring my, I uh, I have this. So okay, don't, don't be too jealous. I'm drinking box wine. I yeah, think uh, which, uh, which, you know, 
Yeah. All right. That's you know, why I was going to say, I was gonna say the, the Tour de France, at some point, if you're a World of Darkness gamer or you've played Vampire, I think at some point it was like a rite of passage in the early 2000s and whatnot that we were doing Tour de France as, uh, you know, well, before we would play Changeling the Dreaming or something like that. So um, <laughs> I've been there. I have done that. I have prayed to the porcelain throne. And uh, um, the scariest part is when it's red that. wine, you, it's, you feel like you're dying. You're, you're like, oh, you, you, because, because you you're look, spitting blood. It looks but like all of a sudden down. you have you have puked up all the blood in your body, <laughs> and it just is, actually it's scary. <laughs> uh, you know, we're talking about this is completely out of the blue. We did not plan this. We're talking about Chicago and we're talking about alcohol. What is your personal relationship with Malort? Ah, Malort. Um, my personal relationship is I got to enjoy Merlart and it's all of its finery, uh, up when I went up to the Milwaukee Mid County, I believe I met you guys, uh, midwinter, yeah, midwinter was the first time that I've ever, yeah. Uh, that was the first time that I ever got to imbibe the sweet, delicious nectar that was this fine Chicago exported alcohol, which everybody was like, Rick, you're from Chicago. How have you never had Malort? And I'm like, well, quite simply because I'm from Chicago. But if you haven't tried it, I really recommend that you guys do. Um, it I, is, I have had it you know, twice. Yeah. It's, a, it's an acquired I, taste, but I mean, if you're from Chicago, you, you kind of don't need to. Mike, unless yeah. you gave it to I, me, I, I don't think I've ever had it. Uh, no. Oh, you, you would know. It's an experience. Uh, you have, Josh. You haven't had it at any of the Goonswarms. Uh, I don't know. Or was that? Well, that Those well, you're blurs, not much of a drinker, and I'm not much of a drinker, so I'm there yeah. for for the gaming. <laughs> yeah. I I started to get to the the impression that Malort is something that people from Chicago don't drink; they just make other whenever they go off from Chicago, they say, here, drink this thing. It's from Chicago. You have to drink it. And then they just laugh. If you want to call your, if, yeah, if you want to be from Chicago or experience Chicago locally, if you're not from Chicago, uh, a, a fine glass of delicious Malort will be wonders for your welcoming into the Windy City. That's my yeah. official stance on it. And um, I know tiny UK British girls that can drink Malort like it is delicious, um, and they actually enjoy it. So they are out there. They do exist. They don't live here in Chicago, though. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so you said that you drank it at uh, Midwinter, which is where we met. Yep. So I think that's probably where we should talk next. Is uh, uh, that I think that was 2018. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I met you guys because um, you guys were running LARPs uh, and doing your weird table uh, top Gen Con like super events that you guys were planning at the time. And I was um, selling novels about sarcastic urban fantasy about the end of the world. Uh, since then, uh, since 2018, the biggest project that I've achieved is we actually just launched uh, the Red Opera. Uh, Kickstarter, um, where we fused metal with warlocks and, and 5e and, and took this band Diamorte uh, and we took their concept album and I wrote a full warlock campaign uh, set in the Shadelands and we got done with our Kickstarter in September. It went fantastic. Um, and 
just on Friday, I submitted all 158,000 words in to the layer artist. Um, we added about 75,000 words after the Kickstarter was over and uh, stretch goal content. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like this year in 2020, I, I turned in my sequel uh, to my publisher for Seventh Age Dystopia. And, um, you know, Magic Returns, companies brand it surprisingly fitting uh if you know the apocalypse is going to happen and the red opera both of them got turned in uh on one on friday one about two weeks prior and so i get to actually sit back and have a winter vacation and play some games for once yeah uh for me the question that comes up uh because you know josh and i are more casual gamers we're not sitting down writing all the time the big question that i have for you is like how much time per week were you spending on the red opera like in the past year on average shit okay so let me think here in the beginning right when we first started it was every night right when i first write the first draft it was like every night i'm sitting down i get done i spend about three or four hours uh to write out like a chapter and a counter and act go back and re-edit stuff um then once we turn it in to the publisher, there is a pause where you get to like break away and go do something else. And that's kind of nice. But then right before the Kickstarter, about a month and a half, two months beforehand, doing the voiceover work, the trailers, the marketing, writing the copy, all the additional content, and then the actual Kickstarter itself, the blog post, the promotion, the reaching out, the marketing materials, um, you know, and then the Kickstarter is a full hundred percent. Like I took the first two weeks off of work because I mean, it was my book, right? Like I had to like really like work extra hard on it. And uh, so I took like the first two weeks off of work for the Kickstarter. And I just did that as like a full-time job. And then after the Kickstarter, I collapsed for a week and I didn't do anything. It was like one of the most exhausting experiences. And other people I know who have run Kickstarters have been like, congratulations, Rick, welcome to the club. You know, it doesn't get any better, you know, by the way, it's the same thing every time. And then after that, uh, I really wanted to finish. And so I set it up so that I did, I went back to one thing every night, um, where at seven o'clock at night from about seven to about 1 a.m., I would listen to metal music and I would write and I would, or review somebody else's writing or like try to bring an encounter or play test. It didn't, it wasn't like exact word typing per play, but it was something to do with writing in the project. I would dedicate that time to do. So it was definitely a full-time or a part-time part to full-time job based on how you cut it uh what what else were you doing in the the gaming industry during that time was it just that or uh because i saw that you ran a game in september which must have been around the time um uh and and you say you've you've got uh other games uh like uh like home games like are you still playing rpgs so all this for a while no, I I still had a budget my time. I do a few different games. I do a thing called the Storytellers Forge, which is a D&D for kids program where I teach kids ages like 8 to 17 how to uh, become storytellers. And we're partnered up with like a local game store. We have like 200 kids signed up in the program. Um, mm-hmm. I actually have like the whole 
thing already written and done, but I still run that. And I was doing that about two nights a week um, or one night a week during that. And any live stream or any game that I ran during this year was probably red op or related. Um, yeah. uh, you know, like I was, I was absolutely like, okay, I'm making this red op or I'm kind of play testing. I'm also doing some promo at the same time. I did have a private mage, the Ascension technocracy game that I was running on discord where, um, for my adult friends and, and some of them were in Milwaukee actually. And, uh, the concept of that game was, I still know a lot of LARPers and a lot of friends and a lot of people that play and they would feed me their worst horror stories that I would get from OWBN or other games that they had been to about the worst masquerade breach they'd ever gotten or something terrible that would happen. And the plot line of my game, this little division seven thing was these agents would hear that horror story and they had to go on out and fix it and reset the world and, and make things go and see if they could do it. And, um, it was fun, but I, I, I did have to say that running on Discord, um, especially if it's a text-based game and there's uh, more than like 12 players, it was extremely time-consuming. So I did have to bring that one to an end uh, right around June. I couldn't. I just found I couldn't maintain. Uh, Interesting. That so that was that was a text-based Discord game that you kind of did. So was that uh, you kind of was that a, like was there certain time periods or was it just a 24-hour uh, room that was you know running events you know things that were going on people talking to each other yeah good idea bad idea good idea have a bunch of friends that are all larpers invite them into a a channel let it be 24 7 bad idea be the storyteller of that um uh it was a 24 7 thing where then occasionally like once a week or something like that i would pop on and i would do a live event um and then in the meantime characters can kind of do their things um, but it was structured and there was purpose to it. There was a plot line. People got experience every week. Uh, it's just that originally I started it because, and I wanted to do it text-based because I found that I it kept me in the swing of writing when I wasn't working on a project. Um, so I could actually write out and describe full scenes and do improv and it kept my writing skills. To, I was churning out two to 3,000 words a day. Um, uh, for that. And it was good practice. Like it was good to set a scene and narrate and practice that, that skill set. But at the same time to run a live event, you know, I would log on at six o'clock and next thing you know, it's three o'clock in the morning. And like, we're halfway through the event because you're not just waiting on me to type and set the scene. I'm waiting for somebody else to go to a dice bot channel to roll things. And it, that's where it starts to break down. I think the time commitment, while it can be more immersive to read with pictures and art and people have better time to like think and craft their responses. If you're trying to run it like a live event, you you can quickly lose your uh, control over time. Yeah. That's, no. that's amazing because I, because we're doing, uh, because when you said a discord game, I thought immediately the kind of like how we're doing our discord game where we we're on voice, you know, once, once a week we go on and we even broadcast over Twitch and stuff for our, um, mage, the Ascension techno gate, which is a technocracy based, uh, game that we're running on Twitch right now, actually. Um, and so immediately I thought, oh, okay, that's, it's interesting. But then when you said that it was a 24 hour thing, it made me remember the days of the mud, um, for the world of darkness. Did you ever get involved in, in the official, uh, white wolf mud? 
not the official White Wolf MUD, but I have played MUDs. Um, I did get very much uh, into MUDs uh, that were out there. There was like Dean Dean, Strange MUDs, and other types. Uh, Strange MUD was my my particular one. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we had custom programmed dice bots. We loaded people's character sheets in, you know, and it was it was epic. I ran it for about two and a half years, and I actually did. I refused to let a game end without bringing a story to a close. So we actually did run like the finale. We actually gave everybody a conclusion, but I had to take it down. I was like, guys, we have to run an end because I have this, uh, the storyteller's forge. I'm working on my sequel. I have which is coming to a close. I've already geared up on my next project, which is, uh, working with XYZ game labs, uh, this project called hindsight. Uh, it's like a thousand ways to end the world. And, uh, I was still blogging for Geek and Sundry at the time. Um, you know, they've kind of slowed down a lot on their blogging, but then I was starting to blog more for a few other sites like Nerdarchy um, and do some writing over there. But I just had too much going on. And I absolutely did get to the start where I was like, okay, I'm starting to get burnt out. I have to start dialing back because I still have my day job. I still got a kid, you know, and I... Uh, League of Legends, I really loved it right out the window. Like, just couldn't play it anymore. Um, you know, most of my video games, the only video game that I was able to play in the year of 2020 is I sat down to play uh, the Final Fantasy VII Remake because I am one of those fanboys that definitely grew up with that, and I couldn't let that pass me by. But um, that's... That's that's how busy I got, and that's some of the other stuff I've been doing uh, in the industry. Um, I have a lot of stuff upcoming in the future. I'm really glad that I finished Dystopia, and I cannot wait for the actual publish to come out there because I know it's so much better than my first book. Um, especially if you guys like technocracy type stuff, you'll love it. Um, and the artwork for it that I got was great, and then the Red Opera um, is is playing well, looking fantastic. We're, we're set to go for it. But now I have the things I got to start working on next because the written word usually takes about a year and a half to two years before anybody actually starts to see anything. Um, I think the most fun project I did that was short this year, though, was um, Bill Bowden from, uh, he's a freelancer that works with Onyx Path and Crystal Mauser. Uh, she's another, uh, great, uh, fr uh, writer, uh, in a lot of spaces, like the lead designer of the PIP system. We got together and we wrote an anthology, uh, in Werewolf the Wild West about like a bunch of stories, fiction stories in Werewolf the Wild West. And we put it up on, uh, there, I wrote this short story about like, uh, a Naga. And uh, that was just a lot of fun. It was, you know, short, five, seven thousand words, but had a blast doing it. Short. <laughs> I, I've tried my hand at a few short stories, and <laughs> I wouldn't call five to seven thousand words short. Um, the I, I just want to go back a little bit, and this might seem like a little bit of a weird question, but uh, when you were talking about the Discord game where it was text-based uh it, and it sounds like you were putting a lot of time into it uh and you you put the word practice onto it and yes i've always felt like uh because you know josh and i were talking about this earlier there's kind of this new um uh ecosystem in the gaming world 
of people trying to become gaming celebrities and, and such like that. And yes. so when when you introduce that element of the so-called hustle, sometimes doing things that you might have done with friends for enjoyment in the past, you know, it the the enjoyment is the final end. We are now introducing things into our activities that are now a means to another end. Do you see any of the stuff that you're working on right now as like that? Uh, like, for instance, that uh, that Discord game where you're doing something that you wouldn't necessarily do for fun because it's a means to another end in the future for your career. Um, so actually, it kind of goes the opposite way for me. I started um, writing um, because I really liked storytelling. And I used to, I went to school for art and uh, painting once long ago before I became an electrician. And we were running all these LARPs out here, uh, these like big, like multi-world of darkness LARPs and things like that. And we got done. The game had come to an end, um, but we were always still telling stories and we were sitting around on bars reminiscing about it and talking about this because we had like 600 players in chicago that played in in this uh this larp game that i'd ran for a few years and a lot of my very close friends uh you know we all grew really attached to all those stories and when that had kind of come to an end and i needed to do something i started writing i just took up nanoremo and i was like all right i'm just gonna start writing and i fell in love with it right and so i had done that and then to keep writing um, I had to start doing, like, I started writing more game fictions and I started, you know, in when I was running games, like, you know, people started getting more letters for their characters and they started getting more things. And I realized if I take these and I like look at them, and I compile them, I have stuff that I can work with and I can take this and springboard and go do other ideas. So doing the practice for me um, wasn't so much for the hustle of like, I was a I, I was doing the game and being a storyteller, writing just became naturally. I do know what you mean, though, for the hustle to get to an end. And I do do that, but that is always when, and if I'm ever running like a live game on stream or like something like that, if I'm just playing for friends, I don't need to broadcast that out to the world. It's a private game that I'm going to play around. But if I'm doing something that's promotional material or it's something for fun like uh you can go on youtube and you can find me running killing time with gehenna gaming or uh you know you can run find me running the red opera and i like it i do it i wrote it it's fun i like being a storyteller but if i'm on stream and everybody else is on stream everybody there is aware that this is part of a endeavor to put something out onto that social media space because i'm terrible at social media i never update mine like my twitter and like all of that stuff i just with all the stuff i have i just don't have the time to like then be like all right now i'm going to be super active uh over here in these spaces so sometimes i do have to like make room for content that i'm specifically going to put on the internet um and and be a part of yeah. No, in, in the past few months, uh, Josh and I have had a lot of conversations about what we call entertainment products, where it's, you know, we have this kind of philosophical debate. Well, maybe not debate, more of a conversation about it's like we're putting out this game 
like like he was talking about earlier, we're doing this technocracy game, and it's an entertainment product. But at the same time, we're having a good time. We're we're scratching all the itches of of gaming, uh, but we're just kind of like we're moving it a little bit to the side where there's a little more effort in certain areas. And yeah, sometimes I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it, but at the same time, I'm like, I really, in five years, I want to be a guy who just does this for a job and I can get to have fun all the time. I just have to become comfortable with, you know, putting on a face sometimes, uh, you know, doing a few things that I don't like so I can do more of what I do like. So that, uh, what, yeah, no, no. And, and what, what I knew. Yeah. And, and what I've noticed is like, I, for one, like, I don't think I'm ever going to quit my day job. Um, being an electrician in Chicago provides me with so many horror stories that it fuels my endless imagination for urban fantasy. Um, but when you are doing something like, like, let's say you're on a, uh, you're playing a game and you're streaming it. Right. Uh, that part is the fun part. That's the easy part. For the storyteller, there's a lot of work. There's prep work and whatnot. But showing up to play a character and roll a dice on stream and being theatric and remembering don't drink and don't eat food because nobody wants to see or, or hear everybody like munch on stuff. But, um, uh, you know, when you're playing a game and you're doing that, that's the easy part. When it becomes work and you know you've moved that into a hustle, I find, is when you start doing production and you start making sure that people's dice rolls are limited you start tossing rules out the window um, or even editing out uh segments in post-production that just say like, like yeah this is just the boring part we're gonna cut this out because it's not entertaining to watch and then you start doing the all right now let's build a social media empire we get up somebody who's gonna do gifts and screenshots and start um, running a weekly Twitter things and then reaching out for other podcasts and, and doing blogs and getting promotional materials and creating artwork. That's where all the work comes in. And when you find yourself doing that and it can be a passion of love, like, right. You can be like, oh, I'm really excited to get this out here. I really want to show people this stuff. Um, but when you're, when you're putting that effort in is when you know you've crossed into that, like this is no longer a thing that I'm necessarily doing with my friends. Um, I got to do an interview with these guys uh, who run a game called Encounter Party. And they had a really interesting take on the way they do uh, their production, their stream. And if you've ever got a chance to listen to Encounter Party, you can find them on Spotify or anything like that. And they're basically full. They're set in Ravnica for 5e and they've got a new home world coming up. But they do... 30 minutes, 40 minute podcast episodes. That's full gameplay, all story, all role play, no mechanics. And, but the way that they shoot this is Brian invites everybody over to his house or they get together through and they have all like their speakers and their mics and their boom mics and everything set up at the table. And they actually play like real people as friends at the table for an entire weekend straight and they just marathon through an entire campaign and they have a blast doing it um but they'll stay in character they'll do their stuff they'll you know but they'll actually play as friends and pretend that all of the dressings aren't there and then they will take about three months and they will cater and edit splice and cut and like re-record and sometimes add in some additional audio 
to actually make a full 10 episode podcast of this is entertainment, you know, and it works for them because a lot of the people on their, their show are comedians and, you know, stuff like that. And, and stage drama people that they know how to act and they already have that gift of, you know, the gift of gab as it were. But the end result is professional quality, grade entertainment, good gaming product that you'd actually want to listen to on a car ride, you know, and it's not some four hour podcast that you have to sit on down and, and watch and stream. And um, I remember that was the biggest thing for, for some of us when we were working in geek and sundry or we're just like critical role fans and they love it. And like, Rick, have you seen the latest episode? And I'm like, no, I'm like two seasons behind. Like that's, that sure is long, man. <laughs> like, I, you know, like I got a lot of writing to catch up on. Um, but it, I thought that that was probably one of the coolest hybrid models I'd ever heard of somebody describe that's both doing the hustle and they also still want to capture that moment of we're doing this for fun. And so they like, you know what, we're just not going to do it live because the moment you're doing it live, you have that on, on pressure. Yeah. It's kind of, we get to have fun for a weekend and you don't have to be on all the time because it's going to be heavily edited. Yeah, I can yeah. I can definitely say that it is it's an interesting thing with I, I don't know if I would want to do it for extended periods of time, um, but I do like the on aspect of gaming with uh, the the four hour you know games that we've been running um, over Twitch because it's when you're on you're like okay let's let's play now let's actually do this and because there's a lot of games that I've been to you know throughout my life in gaming groups that have been part of that. You know, game night is 50% generously gaming, um, with 50% of it being whatever else, you know, is kind of going on. And we kind of, you know, it's it's much more of a laid back. And you kind of get, um, the gaming gets a lot more of uh, interruptions than I feel like breaks um, when it's just extremely casual. Um, and I really like the aspect of, of when you're when you're, you're doing it live and you're actually broadcasting it. And you know you're you're recording. You're gonna keep this for the archives times type type of thing, and you're making something. Um, it's very similar to the experience I had when I went to Gen Con and I started GMing at Gen Con, which um, you know was a very stark difference because at Gen Con you're on. You know, very similar to when oh, yeah. you're playing in the games. You, you're you're going to be playing as hard as you can. You know, everybody's there to play. You know, you do your jokes and you have your fun and you, you maybe like 20% of the game is kind of, you know, for breaks, basically, of of the game experience. But um, it's something that I, I could see, though, the aspect, though, of going through... We're getting to the point where going back and editing and making sure everything is watchable on youtube you know as a as a historical archive is something that i like the idea of having you know having the fresh copy out there just because you know sometimes people like watching all the, that crazy stuff um but so uh, it's kind of funny is like I, I i think that the market for that is so saturated i think that if you want to stand out at this point and you are like like let's say you're like hey i want to hop in and get into streams and games and whatnot you either i have to have people that already have a crowd um and already have influencers on the show or you have to like have that like calendar right so you either have somebody who can already give you a jump start or b you have to have a, just a huge library of back content right mm -hmm. 
and you know like a good hook to it as well uh and because i mean it's like how many times do you hear somebody is like hey i'm i'm we're streaming you know dnd on twitch right there's a ton of games out there that are now doing that and are you know is this one offering something that is worth watching now, i'm a bit more jaded i think because like i probably um do a lot of writing and and i'm there and i have um uh some some opinions about like what i think is watchable uh you know sort of stream and live play and acceptable and then sometimes i can watch streams go completely off the rails and uh, that's also good to watch too because i can be like yeah don't do this guys um but i i think at, uh live is good because it captures something raw um i just wish that live didn't um mean that we were all facing cameras through little windows in a room with headsets on and i wish that more live streams were able to capture that feel of what it's like to run at a table right i people told me like i like the way i run my house games is very different because i run a lot of wraith so it's like we get together we'll have dinner um we'll be quiet we'll sit down the lights go dim we light candles and like the music kicks up and like i have like the tv with like the different like images and stuff and you know everybody stays in character for the night like we don't have those like you know in a, in a controlled environment i can bring immersion i can set a scene both with smell with sound with taste um and I can bring those aspects to life. Um, I can make my characters tense and my players tense by putting a Jenga tower in, even if they're playing White Wolf and now I'm integrating Dread into the mix. Um, you know, you can do those things at a table and I wish that it was more capable to have like a studio set up to stream live games from that kind of atmosphere. Um, you know, and I, because I think that that would bring a better... Uh, more cohesive there because I mean the players can also read more off each other's body language how are you sitting how engaged are you storytellers you know you've run a ton of games yourselves and you know when you're at Gen Con and you have a group full of strangers and you sit on down and you're like okay I'm here for your you know two hours shot of uh you know shadow run let's go steal a pineapple from a CEO or whatever the only way you can tell if the people are having fun is by their body language and the way that they're engaging and even over a camera, um, it's hard to pick that up because if somebody gets frustrated, they can just take off their headset and like walk off screen. Um, um, or, you know, you're just sometimes you don't miss, you miss those little micro things. And I think that those are important. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of jaded by the saturation of streams. If you don't have a really good hook, um, to your game and there isn't some editing even just an edited intro of like you know here's 15 seconds of what our podcast is about and or what our episode is about and why you should be listening um and watching four hours is a big time commitment to ask of somebody else to take a dive into your stream especially in an episodical thing i mean Hell, I only give Netflix uh, eight, nine hours, and that's for a bingeable season that I'm looking for. So that that's actually brings up something that uh, we, we jumped into thinking about that. It was uh, one of the things that we wanted to do, which we're failing a little bit right now on, and I'm trying to get you guys back on track. Uh, we'll, well, we'll see. Um, 
but uh, we're trying to do episodic, first of all. Um, trying to do the, the concept that you don't really need to watch all of our streams at all. Like, some of the episodes might be um, a, a, an arc episode, um, but even even if it's an arc episode, you should be able to watch it and get all of the elements of, of what you need to get from a show without, you know, basically going back to the old-time system, you know, not not doing the whole epic arc that everybody has moved towards, which I love for Netflix and binging and stuff like that. But like you said, you, I can't ask people to commit hundreds of hours to watch all of these episodes that we're creating as, as we start creating them and stuff like that. The idea is, is, can I get you to watch four hours or even two hours of something to really, you know, and that definitely though, I see what you're saying though on... That, that does the dynamic though. Like it's a it's a lot easier to get me to say or get anybody to say, hey, we have this special one shot, this horror game on this night. Come watch some shenanigans, or you know, here's this one shot episode um, that we're gonna try these things out. Yes, that works, right? Like that that is different. And you know, if you do have a three uh, like a three episode arc, right? Um, that makes it pretty easy. Oh, I, I popped in the middle and let me just go watch and, you know, times two speed YouTube, watch the, uh, you know, the past one, um, to, to catch up to the bit I want to see. Uh, you know, what's interesting on like, a, 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 a from a blogger standpoint is because one of the things I used to have to do is I used to have to take, um, Ellie by night and, um, recap what happened for geek and sundry like so you know jason carl and uh, the family and all of them would would have their their episode and then i would have to watch the episode and then write a blog post uh that was to to, to recap what was what was going on and because you needed um if somebody missed something if they missed an episode uh you know, the Geek and Sundry done the analytics. They found out that if somebody missed two episodes of a show um, and it was a serial run show, there was like, that, that was it. There was a lost viewer. They were just gone to the wind. Mm -hmm. But if you provided them with a blog post that said, here's a recap that you could read in five minutes about where the story is at. Oh, hey, I'm free tonight. I got nothing going on. Cool. Where are we at? All right, great. Here we go. Um, you know, and so that was also another way to get people back in. And I know that they do the recap, um, like right before your episode, you'll pop in and you'll be like, here's where we're at in the story, right? Here's what happened last time, or here's the, the hook for this episode. But people won't even go to click on that if they are already off put by the, um, by that barrier of entry with that like time sink uh, that's there. But if they had like a blog post that, that, loaded them up ahead of time um and that was a quick five minute commitment it was clear here's a five minute commitment here's a four hour commit i like what i see then i'm going to go over here yeah um, no that's that's <clears throat> it's, it's really interesting like one of the big things is, is that i also got from you was the the going back and editing and i'm getting to that point right now where I have a bunch of live footage and the thing about it is to go back and, and create something from a bunch of, you know, cause yeah, there's 90% of it is, I mean, literally unwatchable, like for me. Um, so, but at um, the same time, you, you get to have one fun bit when you go back and edit, right? The right. creation of gifts. Um, <laughs> dude, 
players do when you go back through and you edit footage of people on stream you can find some of the most hilarious cuts of your friends and you can use that oh yes yes you can <laughs> um one of the questions that we did have from one of our um people that's watching right now is that they weren't really familiar with uh, critical role and what they're getting they're kind of curious about it um i was just wondering what your kind of uh intake or input in into what critical role is oh what critical role is it's um jesus it's the reason D and gaming largely had a massive revolution in the past decade um basically they took matt mercer and a crap ton of incredibly talented voice actors they threw them into a basement and they started actually streaming their games um and they were fucking awesome um is is what it came down to and then the show um as they start kept growing and they added more and more people and actors and more production value to it it was kind of neat to watch a show go from being just a DD game in a basement with a bunch of voice actors to an actual produced you know like episodic thing with massive story arcs and things like that and then they they sold it to amazon prime if you haven't gotten into it wait until the anime comes out because that shit raised like 12 million dollars on kickstarter and it is looking fantastic um okay, i have not heard about that <laughs> Yeah, the Critical Role anime is coming. I think it's actually coming out like next year. Um, and they actually took the full D&D game and they made a full anime. The animation looks beautiful. And uh, I mean, how many of us have ever had the dream of taking your game and like imagining it as yeah. like an anime cutscene or as like an animated play? Yeah, I know I have like 100%. They got it and their, their fandom, they raised like 12 million bucks. And so they're like, first, we're just going to do like one episode. Okay, no, no, you guys are getting an entire season. And then like Amazon was like, all right, no, no, we're just gonna we're we're gonna help you out with this. We're gonna have many more seasons. Um and uh but they did it. I mean, that that is the the dream. I mean, Matt Mercer, you know, went from, you know, he actually came to Midwinter, you know, back in the day and was, you know, playing, you know, he's he's been out there and does his voice yeah. acting and whatnot. And, He's actually been to Madison a bunch of times for uh, Gamehole Con, which is our yeah. local convention. Gamehole Con's a great con. Um, you know, but it's uh, that was a game that started, and then there was another one with Dan Harmon, Harmon Quest. Um, I yeah. think, um, for the most part, all streams that have kind of come are kind of trying to chase sort of what those two have done and they've they've talked about it some people who get into gaming think that all games should be like critical roles table or you know harm and quest table because that's that's their introduction into gaming but not all storytellers are matt mercer everybody is their own unique storyteller at their own table you know their friends are their own friends and every game is going to play differently and feel differently and so you shouldn't be trying to replicate or or chase that Know, do you and, and and play in your own way um especially important to say that because now it's like you have to understand like that show is it's, it's professional and so it's just awesome entertainment um with really good writing behind it you know so i i don't know i like it um but i um i remember like the fandom when like spoilers happened and characters died and people freaking out and stuff like that it was great um but anyway do you, do you watch my... do you watch critical role right now 
Me? No, I don't watch the new stuff that's coming out. Um, mostly because I know that they're coming out in animated format. And I am a late content binger. So I will wait for uh, a season to get done. And then I will go through and I will binge uh, the content. If I am doing something with work right now, like let's say it was something with Geek and Sundry, sometimes I would catch, I would, I would have to cover something or do something. Yes, then at that point I would like be watching that in the background to catch up with what I have to write. But um, there's, there's simply too much out there to, you know, that would either be my job to watch all of that and then go write about it. Or um, my option is to wait for the animated show um, to catch the newer seasons when they come out with those. And that's what I want to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I do catch I their. Mentioned... Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I do catch um, anytime they're at a convention and they do a live show. Um, oh. Like I always show up. I always show up for that because, um, oh. you know, yeah. it's like if you're going to, you know, you're at Gen Con and when Critical Role puts on a, a live table play at Gen Con, um, it's freaking awesome. It's like going to like a good panel show. Yeah, actually, uh, uh, our, our Gen Con friend from back in Marshfield, where Josh is from, uh, he went in. Actually, 2019 and 2018, didn't he, Jason? Um, I think so. Yeah, uh, and and at the time I hadn't been watching it, uh, but a friend of mine, uh, one of the players on the Technogate game, uh, has been into it for quite a long time, and I finally, I was like, you know, I'm going to get into this. I'm, I'm single. I own a house. I have a job. I can, you know, afford to take a lot of time to watch this stuff. And uh, so I'm about 40 episodes into season uh, campaign two. And it's, it's just a really, it is really well done. Um, I, I do worry, like you said, that it's like, it's the thing that everybody chases. Uh, and uh, sometimes I worry about the negative aspects of that. It's kind of like everybody's trying to be the next critical role. And uh, sometimes I worry about that being a thing it's truthfully actually like you've, some... you've pushed me a lot to want to wa uh, watch critical role and i've watched a little bit here and there but i'm afraid to like delve really deep into it to be like okay i want to do exactly what these guys do i gotta get my mindset proper to not so when you... do that chase i mean but it, it goes to any kind of content creation uh as a writer i have to read other urban fantasies i have to know what other people in my genre are writing so i can say like hey that guy did something really fucking awesome go you man um or that girl is a badass i need to take tips on dialogue from her um like you need to know be aware of the people in your space uh oh, yeah. that are also working in your space and but at the same time you also have to make sure that what you're doing is not just trying to chase and ride their coattails but offering your own unique angle um and you know one of the things that you guys have going for you is you are running world of darkness um and you are doing you know different you know games that aren't even dnd um but the prospect of acting and playing and being around on stream um you know that's that's still something to learn like hey here's how they do it here's what they're doing well uh encounter party uh does does it one way uh, harming quest does it another um you know magic quest you know is out there doing it there's um this uh great podcast by um 
let's be legendary. Uh, let's be legendary. It's a bunch of uh, uh, women uh, in D and D Wild West, um, and they're actually from. Uh, I think they're actually from up there in Milwaukee, uh, uh, in Madison area, and they do an audio, and they have like artwork that they do and draw to you know stand out, and their artwork is kind of fun. Um, so they everybody needs to still be aware of it so you, you still got to watch even just an episode or two uh just to catch in with like even if you want to like really see how the show grew is also a great thing go watch episode one go watch episode 10 and then go to like the third season and like watch the finale you know mm-hmm. um or something like that just to see how the crew and the intros and everything changed as they progressed as a show, you know, check out their websites thing like that. There's a whole team behind them that makes that engine go. Um, but it did just start off with them rolling dice in front of a camera, you know? So it's a good, it's a good industry case study, right? I think at some point they're probably, they're guaranteed to come out with a documentary about them, you know, like there's, I I do not not see that happening, um, but it's it's worth always checking out what other people in your space um, are doing because everybody has this impression that you everybody is a competitor. Um, they're not. Uh, we're all content creators, and in content creation, um, we're all in the same bucket. There's enough room to go around because content is consumable. So like, oh, you like the shit that these guys are doing? Check out this guy's stuff. Because when you're done with that, you're going to need something else to do, right? Yeah, like, similar. You know, so here, try a bite of this. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, one, of the, so, one of the best pieces of, uh, piece of advice that I ever got at a, um, uh, a panel of writers at Gen Con, like, how, how do I do stuff on Twitter? And one of the authors was like, promote other writers. That's mm-hmm. what you do. If you yep. want to get your voice out there, promote all the other people. Just do nothing but sing their praises. Um, you know, we're we're talking about um, critical role and the the commodification essentially of gaming as a uh, entertainment product. And this is a question that I've had that you might be uniquely able to answer. Is there a way? in the future to do what critical role did for tabletop gaming, but for LARPing, is there a way to make LARPing into an entertainment product? Yes. Um, and I has somebody done it. Not in, in, okay. So not in America, um, in Poland, though and in germany and whatnot they larping is in a whole different uh scale than it is here the nordic larps and the full immersion larps take things to a completely different level and we've gotten some things over here we have like the wizardry college um and we have uh, dragon thrones which i briefly mentioned before and these is an entertainment project. Epic Games is a company that puts on this LARP twice a year called Dragon Thrones and also a few other ones like a cyberpunk one and the things like this. And 
what they'll do is they'll say it costs like a thousand dollars and they rent out a freaking castle and you fly out to Pennsylvania for the weekend and you get all your drinks, your food, your, you know, bed, lodge, everything in a full a immersive experience um, for an entire weekend. And it is a for-profit company, right? That is their job. Their job is to produce and make content. They're actually coming out with like the Dragon Thrones as like an RPG system and a book for people to play at home because uh, it has grown to that point. Um, but as a full immersion LARP, I went there one weekend and I did, took ballroom dancing lessons. I did mead tastings. I saw a medieval uh, fight tournament. Um, I got to play crazy epic politics in LARP format. I got to watch a magic magic show, listen to Bard sing, um, got really immersed into the storyline and had a blast. And I told it all up. If I went to medieval times, uh, went for ballroom dancing, did all this stuff, I came out way ahead. Um, but it was immersive. It was fun. And they provided an extravagant experiment, uh, or extravagant experience for that price ticket that I was, I was paying and not to like sing their praises to the enemy. There was downsides, right? Like downsides where it was hot as hell. Cause it was in July and we're outside trying to be in costume. And I was like, okay, maybe we shouldn't do it here at this time of the year. But you know, you had a hundred, 200 players showing up. And if you think about the price for tickets and the fact that they have a company around it and you see them do their load in their loadout, the guys at Epic game, they have like safety managers and people making sure that everybody's got enough water bottles and logistics managers and things like that. Like they are an event company at that point where you are putting on a production, a production for players, which they are paying for. And the Wizardry College of LARPs is the same thing. Uh, same, there's a kids camp. If you have kids that you can send your kid to like a two-week summer camp uh, where they learn like LARPing, acting, theater, drama, but they're also like immersion in like a wizardry school. Um, and they have like a bunch of educators that uh, run this show. And then in Europe, um, there was indeed uh, a LARP-based TV show for one of their LARPs. And like this is the kind of LARPs where people's costumes are just right out like San Diego Comic-Con. Everybody is full. Like if they're an orc, everybody is like meticulously perfectly crafted orc. Uh, uh, and like this, like their outfits were intense and the battles they had were, you know, 2000 people on this side and 2000 people on this side, you know, clashing in the middle of like this big epic Germanic, Germanic forest with a castle in the background. So, you know, they did a season of it. Um, they, they didn't do another one. I know that. Um, but, uh, you know, it is out there. You can watch it if I don't think it's ever been translated. Um, and I, I think maybe when they tried it, it was before, before the marketplace or before that idea was really there. You know, if they had maybe come out with something like that this year, um, I mean, they couldn't do it this year because LARP and COVID, but, uh, you know, if they had come out with it, you know, a little closer to now, I think that it probably would have gotten better traction than it did. But Immersion LARPing and Nordic LARPing is an entertainment product by a for-profit enterprise um, that offers something to a fandom that can go and afford 
and have that experience, which caters basically to gamers who have gotten older. Uh, they've, they've had their families. They finally got their jobs. They were able to go do that. Or we just want to escape for a weekend. And I could go sit in the hot sun and burn underneath the day star or I can go play games for a weekend and get like ballroom dancing and watch swordsmen fight like for like my guild's honor. That's pretty cool. Well, I mean, that's yeah, that sounds amazing. Uh, I hope there are more companies like that in the future. And, and yeah, the the last thing that you talked about, the um, uh, I obviously don't know how they filmed it or what it looked like, but that where that that's kind of what I was getting towards is we've we've now taken tabletop to an entertainment product where it's just essentially putting cameras in front of players uh, like Critical Role. Uh, and I've just always had this idea of what if somebody finally gets the right people, the right storytellers, the right players, the right tech people and puts them all together and says like, run us a vampire LARP for a year and we're just going to videotape mean, everything. We do know one that did go through and it was incredibly successful. And it is one of the LARPs I've ever seen. What we do in the shadows was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what we do in the shadows was, was the, that is a really good. Uh... Come on, you know it's every vampire LARP ever. Oh my god, it's like, hey, we're going to go into this like you know bar, and it's like totally divey inside, and like they're acting like they're big print. I mean, if you're a white wolf nerd, the places that we think we are important is the prints with the jeans that don't match the shoes. We've all been to those LARPs, and it's gotta have. <laughs> Some fun turned in on yourself with that. What we do in the shadows, I think, nailed it. Uh, if you do, if you do that, yeah, I mean, but I mean, I think you, that you can, um, you can do it. Uh, uh, you know, I think that um, some companies that have experienced with immersion LARPs are probably very close. It requires a lot of set dressing. We did one with the Seventh Age, where we had like VR headsets and like escape rooms and uh, this one night of uh, gambling here in Chicago, where we completely overhauled into theater set dressing um that would have been a cool one night you know stream right you know we can only run the event for one night but if you had enough camera crews and you had enough people and then you edited it to make sure that the story all flowed because you're gonna have to film with a larp a bunch of different um, people you couldn't do it live um, cause you're going to film a hundred different people all at different times. And then you're going to sit there and editing and capture all the best moments. The best you can do um, for live which, is probably like put it on one person and you just have that one person going around and you get to see just from that one vantage point, but then be like the next time, you know, when you see the actual movie, you could see everything that happened. I could see that. Would be yeah. The but, only way I could see that, you know, and at the same time, for some LARPs, I could probably say that that might be engaging, but there's also, like, you don't want to put the camera on the storyteller, right? Because all you're going to do is get 50 million questions about asking me about my character or how do I do this? Um, and then, so the storyteller, who arguably should have the camera for some of it, should never have the camera. And then uh, whichever player gets it, um, by virtue of that one player having the camera, is now going to change the dynamic of the entire game. 
some people won't go near them. Some people won't talk to them. Like the first off, the entire game has to be in on it. Um, but if you only had it from a single point of view, you would actually lose that very essence of what a LARP could capture. Well, right. Well, I would think you do both in conjunction and you do it with like the prince, you know, somebody that is always role playing, shouldn't be answering stupid well, no, questions. No. Oh, no. What you could do is you could totally do it from like an in-character perspective, though. You could have the documentary crew go into the LARP with a character who's like a Torador or somebody there that's actually doing interviews with other characters Um or like if you were doing this as a technocracy like LARP, it would be like a you know New World Order agent investigator who's you know viewing breaches for the Amoglim and how people are stepping out of line and like inquisiting people uh, about their characters and actions they've done. And as long as you loaded that player up with a shit ton of information about what everybody else's dirty secrets were, you could make an engaging one night shot. I think that, that actually sounds fun. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, we've been discussing little ways of doing, because we want to do some one-shot, like, LARPs that are just, you know, kind of very deep, uh, you know, political, you know, high intrigue, you've got a lot of, you know, background, it's just a one-shot, but also then having, like, a, um, Mike was talking about possibly having, like, instead of cameraing everybody for the first kind of, you know, shot of doing this, it would be doing, like, a, a room that you have that this is the recording room, where you record some really important scenes, or something like that just to see what people are interested in. But I really like the idea of having a, a documentary like crew that kind of goes through and it's just, you know, kind of you do the Dunder Mifflin or the, you know, the the office and or any of those yeah. kind of documentary type, you know, spoof where it's it's all fictional, but it's a documentary <laughs> of the fictional thing. Could you imagine the prince like who like would like refuse to acknowledge this? Like, especially if you're running V five and he's like, You're all part of the second inquisition, everybody here is gonna die now, thank you. Um, you know, but uh, you know, just like listens and finds out what his sheriff said about him in the bathroom on the camera. Like, you know, you could have some funny moments. Um, I would say that if you are gonna do something like that though, do a different mechanic resolution system than rock, paper, scissors. Um you know, dice play well with cameras on screen, especially because oftentimes you can roll the dice on the screens. But um, rock, paper, scissors um, and doing retests and repeats in this just would look really weird on camera. And I know it's part of LARP. I would default back to the Requiem system of pulling cards and doing the swap because it's flash. Mm. I like that. film, And it looks cooler. Interesting. I haven't looked into the Requiem uh, system at all for for LARP. That's interesting. They have a card-based system. I like that, actually. Hmm. Yeah, it's, you know, you get your attribute, you just add. It's kind of very similar to the L5R live action system. You, you pull a card, you add your stat to it, and whoever got the higher wins. It's quick and simple. Yeah, yeah, easy, quick resolution is really what you're looking for in that situation. Interesting. Right. Yeah. Also, it's flashy, and since everybody has different cards, um, you know, you could have like cool custom card backs and decks and things like that, um, and those will pop well and do something good on videos. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're trying to put a production together, um, little details are going to what matter, right? Um, it's the small, small details. Is this story engaging? You know, because nothing you do, even like 
the reason I'm a writer and I write content like the Red Opera, right? I didn't want to write something that I didn't want to write a game system. Game systems are hollow. Those are what people play in. That's what people do. Um, you know, but you see all these streamers. They're running Descent to Avernus. They're running, you know, uh, Heist at Waterdeep. Uh, you know, or they're running these scenarios that are already out there, and they're usually content and books that people had bought. Um, I want to be squarely in content generation, making sure that a story is epic and awesome and good. Other people will take that and then go stream it and run it and play it, um, and they'll act it out and they'll do that that bit. But I focus very clearly on is this a good story? So instantly. I'm going to be like, is your hook strong enough to get me to watch this? And if your pitch doesn't sell me in 15 words, I'm sorry. There's just a lot of competition. It's not that your stuff is bad. It's just that you do have to work on that copy. And uh, so when you're like going to do a live action stream, uh, it could be really cool. I'm definitely interested because like I am a LARPer. I have my old character sheet in my coat pocket still from my, you know, eighth gen Bruja. So like, you know, like that is not going anywhere out of me anytime soon. But I can fully admit because I've run plenty of games. Here are moments that are exciting in LARP. And here's moments where it's just three guys outside smoking and like, you know, one girl showing up complaining about like, you know, somebody stealing her parking spot, you know, like there are parts that are good. There's parts that aren't um, because you can't control 50, 60, 70, 80, hundred, 200 people. Um, that's a lot of organic. And so that means you have to capture that. Mm -hmm. So that means you have to worry about the things you can control costumes, mandatory, your set dressings, your system resolution, and the storyline that you craft ahead of time. Cause everything else is actor improv and, that's the nature of LARP anyway. Who the heck knows if they're actually going to follow the storyline? They probably won't. Um, like, they'll probably just, like, get involved in their own politics because somebody said one thing status-wide, and now somebody's getting blood hunted. Like, um, <laughs> you know, the and then your game's off the rails. But, <laughs> like, but yeah. Right. Uh, you know, so... But that's I think that that's one of the interesting aspects. Um, I, I was talking to some people about um, how reality can get way more weird than any TV show. Like uh, the West Wing would not be able to do uh, if they made if they made a, a a show that was very similar to what reality is in the last four years. Like that show would uh, by most producers and writers and, and actors and stuff would be like no i'm not doing any of this like this is this none of this makes sense and the interesting thing is that stories um need to make sense reality doesn't um and i like the aspect of of role playing that kind of muddles um that that ground where it's like i have as a gm this idea of what the story is and what's going on and i have control over a lot of stuff since i have control over you know the world to a certain degree but one single player action um can completely and utterly change everything in that world and it it, it becomes an, an instance where you know i had scripted out everything to do this but now you know, somebody did this and everything has changed and the whole game is, yeah. is different now. We're all we're all focused on something completely different.
but it adds that element of you know unpredictability and and it doesn't need to make sense sometimes like sometimes the prince just gets pissed off at somebody and it's like i want his head on a stick and we're gonna spend all night hunting this guy down and he's gonna spend all night stopping us like what are my biggest tips for storytellers on how to make encounters dynamic is i tell them write out your script and encounter then make your guards unprepared when the players walk into it and the guy's like in the middle eating a chicken leg um you know like if you script out things like i can go all up down my huge rant about storytelling but like scripting out an entire encounter is already setting yourself up for failure because in a, in a in a tabletop game it is inherently a shared storytelling experience um you know you're creating a sandbox an onion of awesomeness for these people to start peeling back layers and getting consequences good or bad for whatever action they take um but you ultimately have a, a like a, a world with a core and you know your your through thread um but following a direct narrative linear track you know i know that in some games that is more akin uh, and more natural like dungeons and dragons and shadowrun are actually two game systems that arguably adhere closer to narrative track linear games shadowrun most people don't even think about it being a linear game but it at its core it really is you get your mission from your johnson you go to do your task you get to determine how you're going to do that task. You get paid at the end, you know, and, you know, so it's yeah. got its beat. Um, you know, uh, L5R, by contrast, is the exact opposite of that. Here is this world of Rokugan, the sandbox of, of, you know, a conglomeration of cultures all thrown in. What are you going to do? You know, and so having uh those 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 muddled moments i think is is a lot of fun and i i guess i kind of uh i mean i agree with you um i i just laughed at when you're like i scripted everything out and the players ruined it and i'm like ah yes all storytellers do this at one point we script things out and then players do that again and we never do that again that's so that is the end of the scripting <laughs> So I find I find it really interesting. What I've learned how to do as a, as a GM is I I I still write out the whole concept of everything the way that I want it to go, and then I I know the moment that I step into it that it's not gonna that none of that preparation all of that did was just get the gears running as to like the potential of what could be, to knowing that that is absolutely not going to be what the end result is. And I have to say that Gen Con was the first time that I really, like, because most of the time I'm, I'm a really on the feet GM and um, Mike can attest to this. Anybody who watches Technogate can probably attest to this is that I, I'm making things up as I go a lot. I'm understanding the game. I'm listening to my players <laughs> deciding on what, what's, what's going on in the universe based upon how they're talking about stuff. Sometimes I'm not afraid to add things in willy nilly into my stuff just because I, I've known that it's much better to be an on your feet and changing up the world um, as you're going rather than being like, this is the set in stone things that I have. This is how things are. And even if I'm wrong, I'm going to hold that to being right. You know, I'm going to change, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm in a, I feel like I'm, I'm one of those evolving GMs where it's like, it's always about changing the world to kind of fit the scenario that we're, that we're mm -hmm. in. I'll, Sometimes I'm like, I know you do a lot of this too is, um, and you do it at a much 
better uh, way than I than, and I'm hoping to aspire to continue to to evolve towards that way. But of bringing in different game elements into the game, like uh, bringing Jenga games in and doing different kind of things in order to kind of change up actually what's going on, um, the different game elements that you use. But I do a lot of like I'll throw rules out the window, or I'll just quickly make up rules on the spot, to, right? You know, because who cares? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for the, you know, the rules. I'm you're also for... not there to hurt your, yeah. You're not there to hurt the players. You're going to do what makes sense in the scene to uh, control a tension meter. Is ultimately what we're doing. You're reading the room. There's a tension in a scene in a setting, and you're either raising or you're lowering the tension artificially, whether through hidden dice mechanics or. Um, through your the way that you speak and talk to players my biggest tip towards like any storyteller that really wants to cross over into that schemer mindset has actually been i've like refined this one over the years is write your game session after your last game session and so when you get done with game on saturday night um write down what happened and then on like sunday be like okay What's going to happen next week? And you just look at what happened in the last session. So all you're doing is chaining the consequences together. But you know where you're going somewhere in the world. But at this point now, you're always going to be pivoting immediately off the player's actions. And then that's where I get all the cool ideas of like, crap, I'm going to use a Jenga tower. Or I'm going to have the pizza delivery guy show up and be an NPC next week. Um, yeah, like I will get weird ideas. Um planning on what we're going to do after the next game session. And so if I do all of my writing immediately after the players have taken their actions, I will always have the freshest source of input on where the story is going next. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's something I've, uh, because I always do it, you know, a little bit before <laughs> the game, actually. It's, I'm really bad about the, oh, I'll think about it, think about it, think about it, right just before the game type stuff. But that's a brilliant idea of, you know, and I don't know why I never even thought about doing this, but that's that's brilliant. It's just go right after the immediately after the game. You're already in the mindset. You already know where the game is kind of going, and you can kind of be already in that mind instead of trying to remember. You know, along with and all then the you have like ideas a, you have right, and then you have a week of editing. Right. So and then, then you can tweak it, right? You're thinking about it. It's not like you thought about it right before game and you're like, oh God, I wish I thought about it this way. Um, you know, you get to come back later on and be like, on Tuesday, you're like, you know, it'd be really cool. I wonder if my friend can show up and play this character. He would be perfect for the scene, you know? And then that's what, that's how you start getting into the fun ideas. You're like, okay, this is what's going to happen next game session. How do I make that scene pop? Um, and you know, because you already know what's going to happen. So at that point you can start making those scenes more encountered, more dynamic. Oh, they're going to fight four goblins next week. Okay, great. Now there are four goblins on a cart with a bit of TNT headed towards their little sister. And like, you know, all of a sudden now you've made that encounter better, but you've done that over the week because your party chose to fight four goblins. Right. Um, so like, and that's, that's why I think it's always better to draft your next game session immediately following. And it took me a while to like figure out like, wait a minute, why am I always, oh yes, it's because I do it here and my other friends are doing it here. And then I had them start doing that. And it's what I've been teaching my kids and that's been working fantastic. That. That's awesome. So do you, are your kids, uh, into, uh, how old are they right now? 
Oh, I mean like the D and D. Oh, your D and D Okay. <laughs> yes, I, I I have one kid. He is thirteen, but the the rest of the program is is all over in the age ranges. So, um, is your thirteen you know, year old uh, into of, uh, gaming? Yes, yeah, that's why I started. Um, this is why I started the program. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I tried my hand at Adventurers League. There was another ten year old kid there. Adventurers League tried to incentivize. Uh, you know, DMs that you got experience for your characters if you would run games. And that did not necessarily bring out the best storytellers. Um, it brought out the people who wanted extra experience for their characters. And uh, he yelled at a 10-year-old kid in the middle of the table and called him an idiot. I promptly said, fuck you. Okay, <laughs> grabbed the kid, went over, grabbed the kid's dad, pulled out my own book, sat down and said, okay, we're going to play D&D. Let's build a character from scratch. Um, and, uh, I got involved in running. My kid got involved. They brought friends and 200 kids later, um, were running on zoom via in the coronavirus times, um, to give them something to do, uh, that's different from, you know, being at home or playing video games, or watching Netflix and still be able to play. Um, so it's been going on for about two and a half years. Um, and some of them have graduated and now they start storytelling and running for their friends. So, you know, they obviously got to the elder uh, part of the age group. So, but it's been working really well teaching people how to become storytellers because we always need more STs. You know, there's, we always need that one person to pick up and uh, start running. Absolutely. Uh, what's, what's the name of that? What was that? What's the name of that? Uh, that's the D and D for kids program at fair games. Uh, the book that will be coming out related to that in the future will be called the storytellers for my computer. It's not yet finished. Almost there. Um, <laughs> is it, is it open for, uh, for kids around the country at this point or, uh, is it just local? It's, you know, we run on zoom. I bet you, you could email the store and I bet you, you could sign up no matter where you're at. Because I, I have two nephews and two nieces, and uh, two of them are in Chicagoland, but uh, two of them are in Milwaukee. And uh, the, the two in Milwaukee, I think, would get a lot more out of it. So I'm, I'm genuinely... It, that's Fair Games? Is that... Uh, okay, fair, fair Game in Down... Yeah, F-A-R... F-A-I-R Game in Downers Grove. And we'll, uh, we'll and put a the, link to that definitely in the show notes and stuff like that. If you could just shoot that over to us uh, and any yeah, other links that you have. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you guys the Red Opera and the, the Seventh Age and, and that, that one too. It's the Youth D&D program. Um, and uh, yeah, because normally it was local because you had to show up to it, but I didn't think about it. We've been running remote since March. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I think it's a really, really great idea the, the way that you described it. It's Although I, mean, I might be thinking about the description that you gave on the other podcast that I listened to earlier. So, ah, that's, that's my private, that, that is the same group, same program. Um, yeah. but that's that boltiest story where I built them up over the year. So I have to tell the story now because you mentioned it. Right. So you're going to get a repeat. I know you've already heard it before, but you know, well, yeah, Josh, so doesn't in this program, Josh hasn't heard it. So in this program, uh, I have this brass dragon named Boltius. And the whole concept of the game is the kids are in a dangerous scenario one by one with their characters. And this brass dragon comes out and plucks them from danger and saves them and drops them off in the middle of the wilderness and says, 
this is our new home now. We're building this place here. And it's kind of like Suikoden, right? The whole concept of the game is the kids go out and they build a city right? They go out into the, the wilderness, they have to survive and they build a town and they go out and recruit people. Like some of their adventures are to go to like the elemental plane of fire and like recruit chefs and bring them back so that they can have food. And, you know, what they're actually doing throughout this process is they're actually building their first campaign world. They don't know it, but they're actually building it bit by bit, adventure by adventure with the story behind everything that they're uh, contributing to the world. And this brass dragon, Boltius, is um, absolutely like their mentor, their leader. He bails them out of trouble. He gives them help. You know, he's arguably your storyteller character to, you know, ah, this encounter has gone quickly off the rails. All right, let me have Boltius come in and help. But there is a villain. Um, uh, this villain, uh, this blue dragon named uh, Gorsnouch is plaguing the characters the entire like 26 uh, episodes of this, this campaign. And uh, Gorsnouch has like minions and pirates and other things that he sends there. And at some point, he actually sends the kids' parents to come raid their village uh, and like try to kidnap them and bring them back home and stuff like that. So the parents will actually show up to the table and actually like play. And the kids have to storytell for the parents um the raid with all their pets that they have and so the the kids have been learning to hate Bol or Gorsnouch this entire time all the way up and they've done epic quests to get there and fight him and finally in the store epic after about a year of running the game uh we have like these seven tables uh lined up and all the kids are part of Celine's Cascade in their own little villages in their own way and Gorsnouch has had enough of them and this gargantuan ancient blue dragon, you know, with like a metallic jaw lands down in the middle of their village, just starts eradicating their homes. Boltius swoops up to start defending and attacking and the brass dragon and the blue dragon, you know, they absolutely are tearing into each other. The kids at all the tables have to go run around and deal with Gorsnouch's generals and stop things before Boltius you know, goes down. But, you know, when the time comes... I, you know, have the room get quiet and I rip Boltius's head off as Gorsnouch tosses his body to the ground. The brass dragon's head flops around, lifeless, tongue hanging out. Uh, the brass dragon has been defeated and killed and Gorsnouch just snaps his fingers and he's like, you're next. Every kid in this store got deathly quiet. They were, there was nothing. They, there were no chatter at tables. Nobody was... Uh, Nobody was engaged in side conversation. One of the kids just quietly pulls out his phone, sets it down, and plays like Megalovania from Undertale. And it's like, you're dead, Gorsnouch. Um, and those kids were focused, man. They took down this bra uh, blue dragon with a zeal that I have never seen before. And it was great. They were absolutely engaged. I had gotten them to the point where they actually cared about the story was happening where that even if they were in a store environment they didn't care about what was around them and you know when Gorsnouch fell you know the kids uh you know went home everybody was talking about oh this is what i did there in the encounter this is this is the fantastic thing and you know fast forward seven hours later at night i'm sitting on my computer doing that thing where you write the adventure that comes next and i hear crying from my bedroom and i'm like that's not good and I go in my bedroom and I ask, you know, I see Trent, Trent's crying and, and I'm like, kiddo, what's, what's, what's wrong, man? Like, you know, is everything okay? And he's, he refuses to tell me. He's like, no, I, I, I don't want to tell you. I'll, I'll only text you. Like, okay. You know, whatever, whatever you need. And he texts me one word. 
Boltius. And it hit me right there. I realized that all these kids had a year-long emotional attachment to this uh, brass dragon. And like a horrible monster, I murdered him grizzly without any semblance, even knowing that the next adventure was them like, you know, going on a quest to resurrect and bring him back and like use magic to get, get him back. I left it on that cliffhanger and I found out that like there were so many kids that were crying over this brass dragon and um god i feel fucking horrible so don't ever do that by the way um leave an easter egg leave it leave a dragon's egg there that he's gonna be okay or like a clue i mean because what helped is i did sit with trent and i showed him i was like hey this is the next adventure you guys have a scroll at your resurrection um you're gonna do this this is what's gonna happen this is like what's coming next and he was like okay 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 we get we get a chance to do stuff um but yeah don't be that monster you have a bunch of kids <laughs> um leave out leave out. but it was good though because they did also need to learn that like yeah this is a part of storytelling you know, yeah. that tragedy stuck with them that's a, that's an interesting you, you got to be careful what age i think when when you introduce them to the concepts of that but um you know the the concept of getting hit in the heart by a story is is really important for for people to to feel and to to um it's something that i think it doesn't happen enough to people and i, I don't right. think it happens but enough a, but imagine this you're a parent who's paying money for their kid to play in this youth D program and next thing you know your kid is bawling their eyes out over said program <laughs> The store did not get very happy phone calls at first until they realized what was going on. And then their parents were all like us. They were like, oh, my God, that sounds like such an epic story. No wonder why they're drawing artwork. And these kids are drawing like artwork and things like that are their characters and their, their bits. So they got attached. But the parents definitely need to be explained to. Because trust me, any parent who's signing their kid up for youth D&D generally probably is cool with the idea of gaming and like you know as long as i was able to be like okay wait wait this is what happened here's where we're going they're like okay cool don't do it again that's awesome. you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's uh, so but that's you get one that's you that only get one you know, everyone gets yeah one. <laughs> um so, but that's yeah that's that store program same same program uh we're on different content now there's no epic deaths planned. Instead, there's you know realm helping realm realm hopping shenanigans afoot. Ooh. So always fun. But yeah, so that's what I got. Um, are we uh, are we wrapping up? Yeah, I think that we can go ahead and do a, a wrap up here. Um, one uh, one last question that I kind of have for you, and also if anybody that's watching, you know, that's on stream has any questions. Um, but one one question I just kind of have for you, just a general question, is what do you think gaming's going to be like um, moving forward? Do you think that there's going to be a big change that comes because of um, the experience we've had with the pandemic? Um, and just kind of putting out there that I I had a big change of now I'm really into doing tabletop over the internet and streaming it and and you know having roll twenty and using that um, it's just something I never really? was forced into until today and I feel like I'm changed by it I'm going to move forward with doing a lot more of online 
gaming through Discord and Roll20 type stuff. Um, but I'm just wondering what your what, how you feel like gaming is going to evolve moving forward. AR. Um, I am seeing a lot of stuff come down the horizon for augmented reality gaming to enhance tabletop experience because if you are getting, um, eventually we're going to be able to play in person again and playing online using Fantasy Ground, Roll20, dynamic lighting, um, you know, all of these different things, the images, uh, the sounds, the music, to be able to have that immersive experience to create that to your computer is a thing, but people still want to play in person. Um, tabletop gaming's biggest draw sometimes is that, hey, we can sit around, we can meet up, we can have food, we can have drinks, we can hang out and play. Um, but as a storyteller, it is so much easier to use digital tool sets and managements and the ability to create, enhance, and track D&D Beyond for character sheets. Uh, I think Vampire is probably going to come out with something at some point. They probably have to. Um, but uh, you're going to see, I think as tablets and you know like the you ever see those cards um that already have like gifts on them but they're real cards and if you move them they like yep pretend to cast eldritch blast and like the deck of many things and stuff those stuff that's just really cool um i think you're gonna see some really high-end top-tier gaming products continue to hit the market that are just gonna make the at table experience something like you're gonna see more layers and more better stock layers and you're going to be able to buy whatever perfect Christmas gift you want for your storyteller friends. Um, I think it's gonna be a very good time to be a storyteller, right? That's what I think. Um, because those who are going to choose to run and be the content drivers that have to do all the prep work, the writing work and the organization, there's so many more tool sets that are coming out that are streamlining that process for us so that we can actually just focus on content. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I've I really love the concept of you know really augmenting our um, ta in person tabletop mm -hmm. games with with electronics, and um, and you know I'm not sure I'm ever you know I'm I've I really would love to do a giant super tabletop game eventually someday again but uh adding in all of the augments of of technology into it and and recording it would be something that um you know i i really look forward to in the future so um and and present as i continue to work towards it well, as long as we get to to uh see people in pe in person again that would be great so no <laughs> oh, we will science is wonderful so just a matter of time it's magic. <laughs> no, man, the technocracy just saved our asses. Right. That's what's happening. <laughs> awesome. Well, like, it's, screw, um, screw paradox. Here's a vaccine. <laughs> so I'm gonna real quick. I'm just gonna go through just a couple shoutouts here, um, and then if you if you have any shoutouts that you want to give as well. Um, Go ahead, um, but uh, just a quick shout out to Midnight Express who kind of got us into. Um, podcast got me into podcasting for world of darkness after kind of watching his shows i really really enjoyed watching that it really got me out there into this uh utility muffin labs does some really good uh podcasting as well as uh, dark days radios um you know check out onyx path they got a lot of uh really good uh games that are coming out right now white wolf has been revised um they're out and about again um you know check out uh 
drive-through RPG in order to get to your your books. Um, really nice on on on-demand print yeah, stuff got, that they do. So. Yeah, Wraith, Wraith Twenty is on the way. That's my that's my boy right there, Wraith Twenty. <laughs> Yeah. And and especially thank you so much, uh, Rick. Um, we'll definitely throw up a bunch of links uh, for the stuff that you're doing. It's been awesome. Um, awesome. But, yeah. Any anybody you have a shout out that you'd like to give to? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, check out Apotheos Studios and the work that they're doing. I mean, obviously they're the ones that are publishing the Red Opera, but the artwork that they're doing is fantastic. And they got some other things. I'd like to give a special shout out to Patrick Edwards, who is one of the co-authors of the Red Opera, and he writes. Uh, drunken sarcastic comedy a book called space tripping and uh, a fellow novelist but he's over at geekly um often um and geekly does a lot of like comedy uh podcasts and one-shot comedy dnds so if you're looking for uh some brevity uh in your life go ahead and do that um otherwise most of the shout outs i already gave a, a out to check out encounter party uh and um you know utility muffin labs uh they actually have some good you know, podcasts. I enjoy, uh, you know, what they'd said before, um, and a few other shows, but also, um, uh, postmortem gaming, uh, has, uh, another one that's up and coming where they're doing, uh, with Raymond Jenkins and they're reviewing different V5 products and things like that. But yeah, that's, that's it. I mean, I got, I could d listen to Dia Morty metal. <laughs> that's what we should do. Um, Check out Diamorte's album, The Red Opera. Uh, Red Opera. That is the biggest shot I can have. You can listen to it on Spotify. You can go to YouTube and find it. It is symphonic metal. It is epic. And there's an entire DD campaign based off it. So now you, you just real quick, you got me really thinking about, I, mean, I want to touch base with the, the Lords of Trident and see if we can work out yep. a, a same kind of, like, <laughs> I love that concept of just taking their music and making, let's make a campaign based on this like, yeah it is totally doable i i pitched i had uh drake mefesta and uh paul allender in my kitchen uh paul allender from great old filth drake mefesta from diamorte they were in my kitchen we were having uh paul's very british we were having some whiskey and uh they were talking about how hard it is as metal and musicians these days to get noticed to get out there uh to, to break without and i'm like why don't you guys write a D, &D campaign I mean, you got an entire storyline. You have a full epic. You have opera and symphony, and um, you're you're metal. Like you're symphonic metal, man. Come on, like it, it fits. Like I would storytell to your instrumental music anyway. Everybody got really quiet in the room, and they looked at me, and I went, "I'm writing this now, aren't I?" <laughs> that's awesome. So, and and that's how it began. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast here. It's been great having you on. Hopefully we'll see you around again down the bend and uh, hear about more of the epic Absolutely. stuff that you've been working on. So um, it's always great having you on. Um, so this is uh, Frozen Fallout signing off. Um, Motorori signing off. I'm going to have whiskey as soon as I can get away from this computer. But yes, this is Rick signing off. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much and you have a great day.